Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another one of our Spotify live sessions every Saturday morning during the offseason for Pride of Detroit. We're here on the Spotify live app answering your Lions questions in a kind of Q&A radio call-in format. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief of Pride of Detroit and your co-host here. Uh, you can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. As always, I have two co-hosts with me to, to field questions to make sure I don't screw up the answers by myself. Uh, I have some help out there. Uh, first, let's throw it to the managing editor of Friday Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. It's Eric Schlitt. Hey, buddy. How are we doing this Saturday morning? Well, I'll tell you what. I got the OTAs this week, so I know everything you need to know about the Lions, so I'm ready to go. That's right. We've, we've, <laughs> we've got uh, a two, we had two people there at OTAs, myself and Eric. Um, but that doesn't mean our third person doesn't have anything to bring to the discussion. He's got plenty of informed takes, and he's going to give them to you during this 90-ish minute session. That is our senior editor, Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here as well. The birds are chirping. It is early June. We're less than 100 days away from football, right, guys? Yeah, I, I think I saw about 5,000 people tell me that on Twitter this week. <laughs> I, th- I think that's what I've seen. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I- I'm excited. And you know what? I couldn't be happier to be with two guys who know what they're talking about because, like you said, you were at OTAs. Let's get into it. All right. Yeah, let's get into our first caller. Uh, we have got Ryan on the line. Ryan, Good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are you guys doing? Really good, really good. Okay, so here's my question. Uh, As we know, our linebacking group could use some improvement, and there's talk coming out of the Atlanta Falcons camp saying that Deion Jones is not meant for long on that team. He makes too much. He had a down year, and he just underwent shoulder surgery in the offseason, so he's probably going to miss all of the OTAs and preseason and all that stuff so my question is is it worth uh the lions uh investing in him either trading for him or signing him if he gets cut now that it's after june 1st and he won't cost as much interesting question i feel like every time i tweet something about the linebackers from pride the pride of detroit account i get at least four people saying sign Deion jones or get Deion jones or trade for Deion jones um so i I mean i can't say in particular that i'm that familiar with his game but there there are a lot of things at play here right he's he's 27 years old he is injured so he's going to be going into the regular season not sure if he's going to you know be on the pup list or, or any of that but I don't know, Eric, do you, do you have a, a, a kind of general feeling on, on Deion Jones as a fit here? 
And is he maybe worth taking a risk on when he very well may not be ready to, to be healthy at the beginning of the year? I think that's that uh, cap number plus injury would scare me from going after any player in that mm-hmm. situation. Because if you miss OTAs and then you miss some of training camp and you're acclimating to a new system, uh, how quickly are you going to be able to get them up and going? Right. And then when you add in the fact that um, he's, you know, his, his contract is just, it's not really manageable with their cap situation right now um, for Atlanta. He's making $20 million this year. That's he has a $20 million cap hit. Now, 5.3 of that is a prorated bonus. So if the lions were to try and trade for him, 5.3 of that would come off the, off the top, but they still would be on the hook for like $15 million. Uh, and that is excessive for a player who isn't going to contribute or may not contribute for a portion of the season. So that would scare me. Uh, you would maintain control of him the following year. Uh, and, and it dropped his contract drops down a, a couple more, but statistically he's shown up 137 tackles last year, but his PFF grade was 34. Like nope. that. Yeah. Now previously his PFF grade was all, you know, well above average 68.7, 76, 73, like 87 as a, as a sophomore in the league. But last year he did not adjust to their new defensive scheme very well. Um, so would he fit with the lions? Yes. Would he would would I trade for him in that contract? Absolutely not. Would I be interested in him if he was cut in? Um, yeah, I would be interested. Now, I wouldn't claim him because then the contract comes with him, right? Right. I'd have to wait for him to clear waivers and then talk about uh, having an interest in him after that. You got to remember, he went to LSU, so him and Kelvin Shepard, I'm sure, uh, are familiar with one another, and, and that would certainly help. Uh, you know with a, with a path to the lions, but that contract and injury history for me is a two are two very big red flags. I, I think mathematically speaking right now, they literally can't even afford them on the books. Uh, according to my numbers, they have $10 million, 10.4. Right. Right. Uh, so, and, and his salary yes. is 9.6 million and he's got some roster bonuses and all well, that. That's his, yeah. That's his base. Yeah. Right. So, and then when you add in the, because he played last year, now he right. is, he's hurt now, but he played all 18 games or all 17 games last year. So all of those uh, week by week per game roster bonuses would be likely to be earned. So that's another um, half million dollars a game um, or no half million dollars in uh, in bonuses, so you got to add that into it, and then you add in the roster bonus, which is if he makes it fifty three, that's another five million. So, yeah, you've you've got um, you've got you, an, uh, you wouldn't be able to afford them. So yeah. you'd have to be able to to switch some things around. Then you also don't have any um, in season workable cap space. So, yeah, I I can't you it's can't true. touch them with that contract. Yeah, and and we kind of explored a lot during the offseason ways that the Lions could create cap space, and there just wasn't that many restructure, uh, you know, options out there. And I guess you know ways they could do it now would involve maybe giving Oruarie an extension and lowering his his cap hit in the first year. T.J. Hawkinson, same kind of thing. But financially, it's just going to be really tight, and you don't even know if you're getting a guy this year, and he's only under contract for one more year after that. So. I think I'm with you. Um, Ryan, can you play devil's advocate here? Are you just kind of in the same boat as us? 
yeah, financially, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so I, I agree with you guys in, in, in that sense. And I, I think it'd be, I think it'd behoove the Lions to just kind of play the waiting game, right? Because, I mean, if if the Falcons decide to just move on from them, they'll they'll save like what, like, four, was it like fourteen point seven million dollars in cap space? Um, I don't I don't know the specifics, but like now that it's past June one, a lot of that cap space will move to dead cap next year. So I think that's. That's like the benefit for them is it wouldn't all hit them this year. It would be split between this year and next year. Right, the- yeah. So that's the that's the tricky thing about the you know, post-June 1st uh, designations. Go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say he has um, $13.6 million guaranteed in salary this year. So that, <laughs> okay. that they would take that cap hit as well if they tried to move on from him. It would actually, if they cut him, it would they would take a $24 million cap hit, which means that's $4 million more than what it costs to keep him. Wolf. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but, but here, here's the thing is, is kind of reading the tea leaves about what the Falcons have done this off season. They've signed a couple of inside linebackers and they've drafted one too. So it, it seems like an, it, it seems like some curious moves to make if, if the plan is to, to keep Deion Jones around. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not of the interest of, of trading resources for a guy that, you know, I think the team would eventually, I don't know, when the rubber meets the road, would, would probably just make a decision to move on from him. And I think the other side of this for me is, like, what does Deion Jones get you that you really need right now? Because the way I see it, you add a guy like Deion Jones, he's taking snaps away from Derek Barnes. He's taking snaps potentially away from Malcolm Rodriguez. You're young guys that you want to potentially develop into these guys that, that may be full-time starters. Maybe that's too high of a ceiling for Malcolm Rodriguez, although I know there are a lot of people that are really high on him. But you're adding a guy who's injured, who's new to the system, and uh, you you only have the rights to for two more years and expensive years at that. So I, I get that it's, it, it's probably a, a significant upgrade in talent, but at the cost – at the cost in terms of finances, finances at the cost in terms of taking away playing time from players that need it, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense, really, at, at any way you look at it. Uh, but we'll leave it at that. Ryan, appreciate the question, man. Uh, Thank you. It, uh, yeah, no problem. It's it's an opportunity to uh, address something that I think a lot of Lions fans have been thinking about. And you should be thinking about ways to upgrade the linebacker room because I think we all agree that kind of the – the company line that they're they're touting that competition is going to find some starters out of this group. Eh, not so sure we believe it, but uh, let's move on to our next question. Daniel is here. Daniel, how you doing? Hey, doing good, guys. Hey, so I love getting down, getting granular with you guys, but I wanted to ask a really wanted to ask the big picture, the big picture question. You know, and one of the reasons why I was really encouraged by the new regime and by the rebuild is that they actually seem to have a long-term plan and putting aside whether it's the right plan or whether they're going to implement it right. Just the fact that they have a long-term plan. Uh, You know, I used to work in politics and everything was always about the next election. Mm -hmm. You could never get kind of get out of that cycle. And I think it's the same time when, you know, that's the way it's been with the lions. How can we patch it together for next year? So my question is, so now we know a lot about Brad Holmes. I mean, we know what he said, uh, a lot of GM speak, but we've seen what he's done in two off seasons. 
both free agency and the draft. And we've seen how he has, you know, managed the roster during one season. So my question is, I want to put the question to Eric. So I want to, but I want to imagine the scenario. Imagine, let's go back in time and imagine that you're Brad Holmes and you just took over. You know that you're, you know, you're going to have to trade Matthew Stafford. That's already that's already been revealed to you that he wants out and you've taken a you've taken a kind of tour of the horizon and examined the team. And now you're meeting with Sheila Hamp and, and maybe Chris Spielman. So I guess in this scenario, Jeremy and Ryan could play Sheila and Chris. <laughs> and um, so, and Dibs on you're, you're going to have a meeting and they're going to go, okay, what's your plan? <laughs> Lay out your, you know, five year, whatever it is, whatever timeline is. Lay out your plan for us, and uh, you know what do you want us to hold you accountable to, like down the road? So that would be the first part of the question. What's your plan? And then the second part of the question is, okay, well, where are we now? How how are you doing with your plan? Um, and uh, what mistakes have you been have you made? What needs what what and what like needs to be done? And then. Um, so I'd kind of like Eric to take a shot at that, and then uh, sure, and then you guys could respond and and uh, yeah, think about his plan. Okay, uh, General Manager Eric Schlitt, you've been handed the reins to the Lions circa <laughs> 2021. Matthew Stafford's on the block. I, I guess maybe to to simplify it, what would you have done maybe differently than what Brad Holmes did? That's a good question. Um, what would I have done differently? Um, I think the big thing that, that that has kind of you know hung a lot of people up is the the addressing of the quarterback situation. And mm-hmm. it, for Holmes, I believe his confidence in, in Jared Goff, knowing you know scouting Jared Goff, being part of the team that drafted Jared Goff, and and then watching every game that he's played in in LA, you know he had a lot of confidence in him. I, I don't think I would have had that same level of confidence if, if I was in charge, but I do understand from Brad Holmes perspective, why it, it was, a, it was a devil, you know, type of situation. Right. So um, he said, look, I can, I'm going to, I'm going to end up getting a bridge quarterback um, in the Matthew Stafford trade, <clears throat> excuse me. And then I'm going to try and build this, uh, this organization uh, through, you know, character, that was their number one uh, thing that they wanted to address. And I think they've done a good job with that. Um, and then I think he had to sell Sheila, a.k.a. Ryan, on the fact that <laughs> um, it's it's a slow process. It, it's not something, if you're going to rebuild an organization and do it the right way, it's going to take a couple of years to, to do it properly. And he wanted uh, it it sure looked like the idea was to start at the lines and establish uh, a lot of youth and finances in just making both lines control where they can control the line of scrimmage. And that's the goal. Now, I don't think he's fully done on the defensive line, but he took some major steps towards that uh, this past off season. And, from there, it becomes now getting outside and adding talent and, and getting uh, depth into the organization. Because, you know, in this uh, 
2020 to 2022 roster comparison series that I've been working on behind the scenes. Um, that has been one of the biggest differences for me, right? It's that there's more depth on this team than there was two years ago. And it's a slow, not as sexy process because you're not signing big names in free agency, but this is how you make your team more sustainable, right? And so the depth has been increasing. The lines have been solidified. You're starting to add now talent on the outside in, in year two. Next year, it looks like they're going to probably target more outside talent on the and off the ball talent on the defensive side of things. And that quarterback it, it, situation is still looming. So I'm sure he went into this saying, it might be three years before we're competitive. And, but if you do it the right way, then you're going to build something that's sustainable. And if you have that sustainability, then you can, you can build from there to create an organization that is in the thick of it, uh, you know, after three years from now. And, And at that point, you know, I'm sure the Lions organization after, you know, three decades of not really finding much success, you know, three years was probably a realistic, you know, agreement for them. Like they said, Hey, if this is what it takes to put us into, you know, to make us become a more stable organization, then I'm sure they were willing to do it. And and like I said, that number one thing that they wanted to reestablish was character. And you have seen that, uh, reestablish itself throughout the roster. And so when you're, when that's your number one goal and character is, you know, uh, in leadership, that's, that's your number one target. It slows the process down a little bit more, but again, I think it's one of those necessary things that this group had to do in order to, you know, improve from where they were just two years ago. And, and it's something that I think Brad Holmes clearly Either Brad Holmes or Dan Campbell clearly sold uh, Sheila, aka Ryan, on because they gave him a six six year deal, right? Like it, a lot was made out of that six year deal term because most of them are five years. So they they were on board from the get go that this was kind of a slow burn and it was always going to be a slow burn. Um, but but let me let me throw it to Ryan and and kind of ask you the same question in terms of just is there anything that Brad Holmes has done so far that has either made you scratch your head or made you been like, I would have done things a little bit differently. I, I think it, it's what Eric said at the top of, uh, uh, of his point. Perfect. And it was, it was Jared Goff, right. Sure. You know, um, that, that might, that might be the only thing. And that's going to be the biggest test, right? Like, I, I think that we, um, I think we've kind of circled that square uh, in, in previous discussions about like how, how much is Brad Holmes going to stick to his guns uh, when it comes to some of the decisions that he's made? Um, and Jared Goff is just number one, like by far and away the the most important decision that he's that he's that he made and that he's actively making right now. You know, I, I don't. I mean, we know how important the quarterback position is, right? And when a team moves on from a franchise quarterback like Matthew Stafford they can spend decades looking for the next guy. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I don't think that we truly understand the gravity of the situation maybe when it happened. And, and, you know, we're certainly, we're certainly feeling it now because we are talking endlessly about Jared Goff, but it, it deserves and it warrants discussion because it's such an important position. And 
this season is so important. And I, I, I think fairly a lot of people are saying that this is a make or break year for Jared Goff. So this is going to be a, a crossroads for, for Brad Holmes. If, if Jared Goff, if, if he sinks, is Brad Holmes going to sink with him? Or if Jared Goff swims, Brad Holmes is going to look like a genius, right? Yeah. And, and the interesting kind of development that we heard today is like Jared Goff is intensely involved in, in the game planning and offense with, you know, him and Ben Johnson sat down for a few days a week, looking over that 2018 film of him with the Rams and, and, and pulling out stuff that worked and, and trying to implement that in the new scheme. So at the moment, the plan is to build around Jared Goff. Um, and maybe that's just what they have to do this year. Um, but it certainly sounds like they are not ready to necessarily uh, continue to, to view Jared Goff the way a lot of people do. And that's as, as a bridge quarterback. So, um, it, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if he sinks or swims necessarily based on this decision alone, but it's definitely one of the first big, just kind of like watermark decisions that he made uh, that, that he's going to be judged by. Can we talk about the fact that, Ben Johnson's actually doing this, you know, like we talked about the previously about how when Anthony Lynn was the OC, we were like, well, of course it would make sense to go back and look at Jared Goff's, you know, where he was successful and, and kind of mold the system to him. But that didn't actually happen right with Anthony Lynn. And that's now happening here. Like, and again, when you look at how the defense changed schemes, if Jared Goff is not here next year, I, I've, good confidence in this coaching staff that they can, again, pivot and change schemes again. You know what right. I mean? Like this coaching staff is doing the things that the previous couple of coaching staffs have preached, right? Yes. Like adjusting to your players, running hybrid schemes. So to keep yourself, you know, again, um, you know, flexible against different opponents, right? Like they're, putting this action into play. Whereas there was, it, we've heard it for years, but we've never actually seen it. So hopefully this adapts to Jared Goff and, and it works well. And if it doesn't, then I fully expect them to pivot again and, and, you know, take the next step forward. Yeah. We, and the funny thing is all of that conversation about making the scheme to fit the players has been surrounded by, you know, talking about the defense, right? Talking about being the more aggressive front, talking about changing to four-man front, all that stuff. And then suddenly Ben Johnson drops a bomb that like, oh yeah, we're going to build this around Jared Goff because we looked and saw like this was a Pro Bowl guy in 2018. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah, they are they are truly living up to that building the scheme around the players thing that, that has become such a, I don't know, such a thing, just coach speak thing that, that we hear every new coach come in and say and never actually see them do it. So um Definitely interesting to finally see that in, in practice. And I and I think we did see it in practice, right? Like yeah. look at look at how Goff looked on Thursday compared to a year ago. Sure. Like it was night and day, right? Like yeah. I'm not saying Jared Goff is ready to set the world on fire, but he looked a lot more comfortable. He was yeah. making throws that he didn't make in the first half of the season last year. You know what I mean? And right. granted it's early in OTAs and there's no pads and all this and blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of caveats that go along with this, you know, point that I'm trying to make here, but he looked, he looks better. He looks more comfortable. He looks more confident. And I think that ties into what Ben Johnson was talking about. 
All right. And I know we kind of strayed a little bit far away from your answer there, Daniel, but uh, appreciate the question. Um, we are going to have to do our first break after just a couple of questions. When we come Shocking. back, we're going we're to answer more of your questions and we're going to take one that's kind of right along the same topic of Jared Goff and a little bit of Matthew Stafford mixed in and maybe our expectations, our biases, and a little bit of more of that sort of stuff. So stick around here on our Spotify live Q&A session. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to our Spotify Live question and answer session here on the Spotify Live app every Saturday morning, 10 to 10.30 a.m.-ish. If you can join us. If you can't join us, you can always send us questions via Twitter, via the website, prideofdetroit.com, in the comments section. And that's where we're going to go to start off the second segment. Uh, I got a very thoughtful question from Nightmoves212 on Twitter. And I'm going to try – he sent about four paragraphs here. I'm going to try to uh, narrow it down here a bit. He asks, do you think beat writers have crafted an unfair narrative around Jared Goff? Um, he, he mentions how – People, including myself, have said we can't forget about the first half of the season last year, um, but wonders why, Why, considering the, the wide receiver talent, the, the, the offensive line issues, the new regime, um, and, and saying, you know, that, that maybe we, we hold Stafford to a different, um, different stretch. You know, now, now Goff doesn't have any excuses. He's got a good offensive line. He's got – a, you know, good weapons, but Stafford had good offensive lines at times, good weapons and, and didn't win. So I guess the, the overall question here is, do you feel like because Stafford was here that we are, we have unfair expectations for Jared Goff? Um, and, and maybe, maybe that's clouding our judgment. And that also he's wondering if 
our opinions, our narratives that we put out there about golf have maybe trickled down into uh, fandom and, and now they hold the same kind of unfair biases against them. Who wants to, who wants to try to tackle this one? <laughs> I, I think we should let the, uh, let the beat writers handle it. Right. <laughs> I think they should respond first. Well, look, Eric, the floor is yours. Uh, so he, is he saying that we're being, I, I, I was kind of confused. Like, okay. Is he saying that we're being like too hard on him or that we're because to me, I'm not, I guess I'm not clear with the question is, is it, is it that we're one being too hard on him or is it that we're being um, like saying that he's going to be too successful without improving it? The the way, the way that I heard it, it seems like are, are people in Detroit being unfair to Jared Goff? because of maybe the leash that we gave Matthew Stafford, we're not giving Jared Goff that same leash. That That is definitely part of the question. It, it's that we are not giving Goff a fair chance. And now he, you know, expectations are too high now. Like he has, if he, if he can't, you know, win a playoff game this year, he's not the future quarterback where we didn't necessarily hold Stafford to that same standard. He didn't win a playoff game, obviously. I don't think we're handing... Jared Goff, you know, um, I don't think we're being too critical of him. I don't think our expectations of him are, are too high because there's a history and a precedence that, that comes with him, right? He was a, um, expectations for him are that he has the ability to take a team to the playoffs because he's done it right. Or, 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 you know, be a quarterback on a team that went to the playoffs because he's done it. So he has that experience, um, at the same time, we, he also had two very down years coming into uh, his time with the Lions, and actually you can call it two and a half if you count last year as well. Right. Matthew Stafford never really had a down – what he had? Well, he had like maybe one down season in the past like eight years, right? And he always seemed to be like, – I guess for me – Stafford always seemed to be held back by the coaching staff or the talent around him. Whereas Goff, according to McVay seemed to be the one thing that was holding the Rams back. Right. And so um, maybe it's the decade looking at Stafford, but look, I, I remember watching Sean Hill. I remember watching Dan Orlovsky, John Kitna, Joey Harrington, right? Like there's a, the expectations for fans and I think in the expectations for the media after seeing Stafford is that we have a perspective on what a top tier quarterback should look like. Right. And the fans want a top tier quarterback. And so the expectations for golf is that if he's going to be that he needs to take these steps and he's done it before, but can he do it again? So I don't think the criticism or the expectations for golf are necessarily too high. But again, I'm part of this collective that is, you know, making these assertions, right? So right. maybe I, maybe I don't have the right perspective. Um, but I think it's, I think what he's, the treatment he's got is, is warranted based on his history and based on, you know, what we've seen here in Detroit over the last, you know, two decades. Yeah. There was an interesting kind of paragraph in, in this question, and I'll read it here. He says, similarly, when, when Goff played for McVeigh, well, McVeigh was a genius. 
When Stafford is under center, suddenly a narrative starts that McVay is a bad play caller stifling Stafford. Did you notice a switch? And I, the answer to that question is no, I didn't. Because here in Detroit, the narrative on McVay completely switched in its own, right? Because before this year, it was McVay is a genius. Like, McVay led the Ram, like, completely took over Jeff Fisher's team and immediately made them a huge contender. And, yeah, at, at some points last season, some questioned McVay's, you know, how he was handling Matthew Stafford. But obviously it ended up working. Here in Detroit, though, once Jared Goff was in town, it was like, Sean McVay's an, a jerk. He he didn't, like, they well, they, they found out, Sean, they, everyone found out Sean McVay. It's going to, you know, he's, everything's going to explode with Matthew Stafford's not going to be able to get along with this guy. And, and it's all, it's all kind of a narrative built around like Jared. And here's how Jared Goff is going to turn, turn things around and how he's going to turn around his career, how he's going to turn around the lions. And, and Sean McVay was a scapegoat for his struggles, right? A lot, well, I mean, a lot of people made that argument. McVay did kind of show his butt when he uh, when the way they treated golf. And I think that that kind of drove a lot of the narrative of he's not a good guy. But I think if you look statistically at the Rams offense, not much has changed in that Rams offense. Right. But when you like you saw what Stafford did compared to what golf did, like you saw that same kind of arc in production. Right. Uh, And so I don't think he changed a, a whole lot. I think he just. I think you just ended up, they ended up getting a better quarterback, right? Right. But, and because that's, that's the salient point that sticks with me is, is, is the surround, the surrounding talent. Like you, you can't throw away last season because the Lions weren't talented on off last, the first half of last season because the Lions weren't talented on offense because that was the same Jared Goff that we saw for the past two years in, in, in LA. In LA. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he had plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. Yeah. That was a good enough team to make Super Bowl runs both in 2019 and in 2020, but it wasn't getting done. His production. Now, the the big question here is why is there a huge drop off, right? Why is there a huge drop off from Jared Goff from from 2018 to 2019 and 2020? I don't have that answer. I, I think I I think it's conservatability. I think he was he was very loose with the ball in LA and and that and when he gambled in 2018. Uh, it worked a lot and then it didn't work in 2019 or 2020. And then it didn't work. And then you saw him shift to become Mr. Conservative. Right. And he doesn't, and he got labeled as this like turnover guy. And so now he completely tried to shift into, I don't want to risk it. And then by not risking it to try and hold onto the ball more and not throw interceptions, that took away a lot of his downfield shots. And so then he just became a shell of the quarterback that he was in 2018. And I think he, that confidence is slowly coming back. The question is, can it get all the way back to, to where it was before? Like we, I, we talked to Josh Reynolds um, at, at camp on Thursday, and he talked about the fact that you could, he was asked directly, like, what what was wrong with Jared Goff in the beginning of the year versus like what what you know he's doing now because uh, Reynolds was saying he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league and um, Reynolds you know said oh I wasn't here in the first half so I can't really speak to that but you could even kind of see like in L A like he you could say you could see he said essentially you could see his confidence coming back 
um, when I, when I showed up, I saw his confidence building. I saw him getting better. I saw him, you know, making more throws. And, and so I, I really think it's a confidence issue. I think he got so gun shy and burned in that 2019 season where he kind of got exposed and, you know, the Rams offensive line got a lot of the blame for that. But, um, I think he got exposed and then the lack of confidence and the lack of trust from the Rams coaching staff in front office, I think really paid its toll or took a toll on him in in 2020. And then that's a hard thing to recover from, uh, was a hard thing for him to recover from. And then when you add the fact that the talent wasn't there, it's a new system, it's a new team, it's a new city. There's all these other factors that were going into it. It's not surprising he struggled and he's trying to break a lot of those bad habits. And you started to see that come back at the end of next year. You're starting to see some of that confidence back. It's just, you know, the, the, the million dollar question is how far will that take him and how quickly will that take him? Because if he can get back to where he was, then he can be a playoff. He can be a quarterback that is, uh, you know, running an offense on, on a playoff team, right? Like he yeah. can get there. He's shown it, but we just don't know if he can get back. Ryan, can he get back? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. So I, I just want to contextualize some of the things that you guys are saying, right? Like I, 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 I really locked in on, you know, Eric's point that he made about Jared Goff in terms of kind of like how loose he was with the ball in 2018 and the numbers just bear that out, right? Like I'm looking at, uh, pro football focuses, um, advanced stats right now. He had 30 turnover worthy plays in 2018. Um, but only ends up with 14 interceptions, right? So, so that speaks to Eric's point about like being more loose with the ball, taking more chances and not really getting burned a ton because I mean, he still throws for, you know, 33 touchdowns. He's thrown for 8.1 yards per attempt, which is, you know, right up there. Yeah. Which is, you know, incredible. Right. Um, Here's the thing. I don't think it can be understated how, much of an impact Todd Gurley had on Jared Goff's success. And, and I'm not talking about just their ability to do play action because we've, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, what that does for, um, you know, how it has no correlation really to, um, to the passing game in, in play action and things like that. But I, I, I think it would be really worthwhile to look at what Jared, like what the Rams were able to do on first and second down to set Jared Goff into um, beneficial um, situations, right? Like, I mean, what did that running game really do to benefit Jared Goff? And I think that that, I mean, I don't think that that can be understated because here's the difference. Matthew Stafford goes to Los Angeles. I don't think that their running game was anything. It it, it pales in comparison to what it was when Jared Goff had, had Todd Gurley in Los Angeles. And I think that that is such an important dynamic to keep in mind because the Bucks game from the, the NFC Championship, right? Mm-hmm. That game just stands out in my mind so much because we talk about being conservative. The, the narrative out of that game was Sean McVay did everything he could to try to lose that football game <laughs> by being ultra conservative, trying to kind of hold, you know, sit on the football and do these things when it was like, no, you, you have to let Matthew Stafford do Matthew Stafford things. I feel like that was like, I feel like it was Sean McVay kind of reverting to like, 
oh, this is how I, this is how I kind of handled Jared Goff. Like this, this is, I mean, we'll be conservative and we'll, we'll try to sit on this football and we'll try to win this football game this way. When they finally cut it loose and let Matthew Stafford, you know, I mean, win that game in, in dramatic and heroic fashion, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, that's why the Rams got the better quarterback in the deal. And I don't think it's unfair to, to, to say that Matthew Stafford is just a better quarterback than Jared Goff. I, I would hope that's not considered a controversial statement these days, considering what the, the Rams gave up for him. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have, and, and I'm sure there are some double standards happening here and there. But ultimately, I, I, I think Eric's maybe first point was the most salient. It's just like Matthew Stafford didn't have these off seasons when when the offensive line was bad, when, when the passing, his passing options were bad, sometimes they were good and he was good. Maybe not great, but good. Um, but I mean, you just can't completely, no matter what, or, you know, the coaching factors, the, the running game factors, all that sort of stuff. Matthew Stafford rose above it all and looked like a damn good quarterback. Jared Goff didn't in the past two and a half years. He couldn't overcome that. And, that, and that's, that's the difference between a potential good quarterback and a great one. And so I'm not discounting the fact that Jared Goff can be a good quarterback. I don't know if he's ever going to be a great quarterback that lifts this, that is the reason the Lions are winning games rather than the reason the Lions are not losing games, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, it's the point that I think that we've, talking, we, we've been talking about all along ever since Jared Goff got here was – are you winning game? Be, are you winning games because of Jared Goff, or are you winning games with Jared Goff? Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's what it boils down to. Now, I, we could all be proven wrong. Maybe maybe all of this this effort to to build around Jared Goff has merit, and and spending all of last season building up his confidence is just what he needed to get back to that 2017 2018 version of himself. Um, but but again, kind of have to wait and see for it to actually happen. I, the Lions certainly did a good job setting it up, setting up basically. And, and I know, I know the, the question asker didn't like me using this phrase, but I, I do feel like the conditions are, are perfect for him, at least on the offensive side of the ball to, to have every opportunity to prove us wrong. Conditions are perfect. I just immediately went to business time. Yes, um, exactly. It is business thank, time. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Uh, appreciate the question, though. I hope uh, I hope uh, that answered some of your concerns that we have. From uh, let's tarry no further and get to the question answer or question asker himself, Dan Pass. Dan, how we doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thank you for your patience. No, no, I have to say it actually sort of helped my point. I almost wanted to make it last week when I was when I, I talked about my friend because it doesn't matter if I write down my question. You can have a plan for the game, but the, <laughs> the game changes once you start. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so I think I have a question for here. No, just kidding. What I wanted to do, I wanted to share an anecdote from the other football, the one in England. Uh, my team, Nottingham Forest, just got back up into the Premier League after 23 years and. They started the league losing seven games and drawing one and have never had a worse start in their entire 150-year history. And they got a new manager called Steve Cooper. And Steve Cooper reminds me of Ted Lasso, like Dan Campbell reminds me of Ted Lasso. And I just wanted to share, like, they had the same players and they just kept winning. And then they finally won last week. I couldn't mention it in last week's uh, 
uh, calling because I was too nervous. I'm nervous now. But <laughs> I just wanted to, like, we can believe. I'm almost scared of this year, and I think other people might be as well, in case we stumble. Because we've, we've done so much good laying of the groundwork and everything else. And, you know, it took me a while to get over the Malik Willis. I'm like, I'm like uh, Sheila and Ryan. And I just want to say, I just want to say one thing. I think I wrote it on your fan, fan uh, site. But Sheila's been awesome. Like, I mean, she started everything and we just got to give her just just loads and loads of respect and just gratitude because it feels like a new team. And it's just nuts to say after so many years, do you know what I mean? So my question is this. I, I, I didn't write it down. Now. I'm sorry, Eric, but here it is. You guys, <laughs> you, you guys have both done OTAs. Ryan hasn't. So my question is this. From seeing last year's OTAs, you talked a little bit about it this earlier. So it's not really, a, 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 you know, what it is. But, like, from seeing last year's OTAs and this year's OTAs, it's just amazing what we've gone through. What, uh, what other things come to mind when you see this team and see it one year later? And for Ryan, the equivalent for you is, because I've seen two first bites now, the last two, and you actively, actively pushed away the chicken finger Peter to talk OTAs with Jeremy. Let's be honest. So I just want to know that. <laughs> Uh, look, all right, let's let's start with with OTAs, Eric. Um, I guess yeah. Let's let's talk about the progress that you've seen from year one OTAs to year two OTAs. What, what's like the main difference, maybe that you saw on Thursday? Well, the offensive efficiency. Right now, I know the offense struggled a bit uh, the week prior, but they were a disaster last year. <laughs> I mean, it was it was all three lines were a disaster, and I can remember us looking around to the other beat writers and saying, how are they going to move the ball? Like, how are they going to do anything? Because nothing was working. Like they would make, they had one pass last year in OTAs that I can remember that went to Brashad Perryman. That was the only pass that went like beyond 10 yards. It, it was a disaster. Yes. Yep. Like I remember Tim Boyle was, throwing the ball closer to the media than he was to his receivers. And like, it was, I mean, not, well, look, he didn't play quite on Thursday either, but, um, but like everybody missed, I mean, everybody missed, everybody looked out of sync. It was, it was as ugly of a practice as I've seen in the eight years or whatever that I've been like going to these things, uh, even before we were credentialed, it was, I, I, it was, I, I mean, honestly, last year's OTAs, I cannot stress how horrible the offense was last year. Like, it was unbelievable. It, they were so bad that we thought the defense could be top 10. Like, honestly, and we know how bad the defense was, right? So, the fact that the offense worked and clicked and moved the ball, had some strategies that they implemented, all of those things were a positive for me. Like that was the most night and day difference was how the offense functioned. Um, you could like, they also look more relaxed, more comfortable uh, as a team, right? Because you got to remember last year, they were just starting to acclimate to everything. They were getting the coaches. Some of these coaches were brand new. Um, it was their first times working together with the players. The players were, you know, trying to learn new systems. So it was a lot more, uh, focused on implementing the playbook and, and trying to establish, you know, uh, like it's like the first day of school type of thing where you're trying to like, you, you're not quite sure exactly what's going on. You're trying to get your bearings, you know, the syllabus has been handed out, but you haven't really read through it. Right. And, and that's kind of like what it was last year, this year, they're, they, they're, they're flowing between activities. They're transitioning real well. They look comfortable. Um, they went over and they spent time with the fans, uh, the season ticket holders that were there. Um, and they just, everybody looked 
it looked easy for them. Like it's something that they had been doing um, like the whole time. Like it, the difference was like the, the difference between like the first day of school and then like, you know, June of your senior year. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good way to put it. And and to go back to the offensive success really quick, I think a lot of that starts with golf, right? Like we just had the long conversation about golf, but I think a lot of the issues that, that we had watching that team struggle last year through training camp and OTAs was golf would just not push the ball downfield. And it was all that same stuff. It was, he was afraid to make a mistake. He was afraid of all the turnovers that he had in his years with LA. He was, he was just afraid to do it. And I mean, I feel like he completed at least four passes of 20 plus yards in that practice yesterday and or Thursday or whatever it was. Um, and that it's, it's a confidence thing because it's not like there weren't some guys open in, in, in training camp. I know the talent wasn't as good, but it's not like nobody was getting open and all he would do is throw it to TJ Hawkinson. Maybe that has something to do with it too. Like we haven't seen TJ Hawkinson yet, but golf is just looks so much more comfortable. And I, I think that just does so much more to the offense. The other thing I, I would point out, um, and this really came through during those one minute drills, pass rush. It's there. Oh my goodness. It's there, and you're, and it's you're, not necessarily you're you're speaking my language. I I know, and, and the, the the really neat thing of it is we didn't necessarily see Aiden Hutchinson have a dominant day. We didn't necessarily see Charles Harris dominating, but we saw the byproduct of them just being on the field, because that opens up opportunities for other guys. That opens up opportunities for Deshaun Cornell to have a one on one and beat Jonah Jackson, and and maybe that. Maybe the, the negative part of me is like, Ooh, why is Deshaun Cornell beating Jonah Jackson? But the overall point is you're getting one-on-ones with some of your other guys and giving some of those guys opportunities to shine. And so far, they're kind of doing it. And given what we know about this offensive line, which we're pretty sure is going to be pretty good, the fact that the defensive line is making some noise, that, that gets me all tingly. Look at where, our, look at where we saw... Um, like the impact plays, like who who made those impact plays? Like we saw, uh, like you said, Jason Cornell got a sack. Bruce Hector got a sack. Jared Davis got a sack from an edge position. Uh, Kirby Joseph got an interception. Um, like you're not just getting production from like the top guys. And, and then those edge guys, like they were all over, right? Like we, we saw multiple edge guys on the field and we saw them shifting around the different spots as well. Like it's just, uh, it's just really nice to see, right? Like <laughs> um, I was, again, looking back at that, at the 2020 year, um, they were, they were not, um, you know, think about the, the, the pass rush from that 2020 year and the approach they had, like they had Christian Jones at one of those situations, right. At the Jack position, right. Like, um, like they, they didn't invest in the, in the position at all. And I know we talk about like receive the receiver room being turned over. We talk about the linebacker room being turned over, like the edge rusher room, I think because like they still have three guys, that were on that 2020 team in the Aquara brothers and Bryant. We don't think about how that room has completely changed over, but like in 2020, they had five dedicated pass rushers on their 90 man roster on their 90 man roster. And this one has 
uh, seven plus your three hybrids. So they basically like doubled, doubled in size. And, and, and like, that's crazy to me because like, you know, you're looking at Trey flowers in Romeo and then Christian Jones and, and Julian Aquara, who was a rookie. This was before Romeo broke out. And then Austin Bryan, who had been injured on top of injured. Now you have a developed Romeo who's out, who's injured, uh, reinvested in Charles Harris. Julian has taken steps and then you just spent three draft picks on the edge. You know what I mean? Like it's a insane investment that they've put on there. And so, yeah, I fully expect to see that pass rush, uh, keep taking steps as they, uh, you know, start shifting things around. Brian, when's the last time you had a chicken finger pita? Uh, it's been quite some time. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe too long. Hmm, okay. Maybe that's what's for dinner tonight. <laughs> All right. Dan, appreciate the question, man. Uh, I think that, that turned into a nice conversation. Much appreciated guys. I hope you guys have a great weekend and you know, listen, um, I wanted to just add one quick thing. With Jameson, when he got picked at 12, I, again, I also felt it, they were going to pick Malik at that point. But one thing I still feel is all of these um, moves they've made in the offense has been for any quarterback. I mean, they're just good for any quarterback. And sure. I and I totally agree. And, and you know, as I say, I still have the Goff's jersey, and I, maybe I've been the counter curse to your, to your jersey. We'll <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Appreciate it, Dan. Uh, let's move along to Robert. Are you on there? Oh, there you are, Robert. You there, Robert? I am. Can you hear me okay? Yep. I'm clear. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, I just have one comment and then uh, I'll get right into my question. I just wanted to add um, to like the Brad Holmes thing with, with golf. Um, I'm really not judging anything with that until it's time to decide on, you know, a next contract or anything like that, just because I think the point of getting him was more so the draft capital than anything. And sure. you just got to try and win with the quarterback that you have. Um, but my question is, I want to take it back to the linebackers. Um, since we had a lot of conversation and if you kind of look at the Rams team, you know, it's one of the units that I feel like you, it's tough to look at and actually like, think of a player's name there's not doesn't seem to be like a star standout um until now obviously um that they added this offseason but on the super bowl team so i'm just curious with uh with the scheme we have and you know it seems like they're trying to devalue the the linebacker role in the scheme what you know is that am i reading that correctly with like the changes they made on defense and then what do you think is like the the threshold of play? Like, what do the linebackers need to be able to do this year to not maybe not like be a strength of the defense, but just not be a liability? It's a good question, Robert. Um, it does feel like there's kind of this narrative, not only really in Detroit or, or Los Angeles, really kind of nationally that it's it's not quite on the level as running backs don't matter, but it, it's almost the same kind of thing. Like linebackers don't quite matter as much. And I, I am curious as to how much you guys are, are buying into that since linebackers, you know, haven't been heavily invested here thus far. And, and yeah, before the, before the Rams went out and got Bobby Wagner, they hadn't done it in LA either. So is that, is that something you're buying that maybe this linebacking core is just not that important to this defense? I'll start with you this time, Ryan. Yeah, well, I, I want to go to Robert's point about, you know, what, what do the linebackers have to do 
to not not be a great unit, but to just be a unit that kind of, um, you know, that that keeps the defense afloat. And it, it's it's really just sure tackling, right? Like like it, it, it's sure tackling to to make sure that you know the Lions aren't an absolute sieve against the run uh, for 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 a second straight year. And, and I think that in, in terms of like personnel and, and and scheme change and things like that. Uh, I, I think the Lions have gone to maybe like the greatest length to to make sure that they're you know that they're stout um, against the run, right? Sure. Yeah. So I you know between Pascal and and Aiden Hutchinson and you know it, it, it kind of remains to be seen, but uh, you know with them not necessarily pouring you know a ton of resources into into the linebacker room. Um, it, it really seems like they're just all in on this competition based uh, approach. And, you know, I, I, it takes me back to a point Eric made either last week or, or the week before, but um, you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. Right. And we, we just went to great lengths to talk about, um, you know, how long this rebuild would take. It, it just seems like it's not a high priority right now because the opportunity just hasn't presented itself. Right. I mean, the, the Lions weren't moving up to 12 to take a linebacker. Um, and by, you know, making that trade that they made uh, in the draft, they, they they kind of not not took themselves out of the running, but, you know, put themselves um, out of position to to maybe capitalize on the positions that we kept on talking about, about safety and linebacker. Um, at the at the tail end of the first round at the beginning of the second round so i i don't know uh i i i think i think that's what it boils down to is is that the linebackers just need to be able to hold their weight (laughs) yeah clean up i mean it it seems it seems like that's it seems like that's what they need right like that that's the one noticeable difference that i i think from from a year ago to to now so but before i pass this on to eric i want to point out the the one reason i'm kind of hesitant to point to the Rams and be like, this is what the Lions are trying to be. Because the Rams have one very important piece to their defense that no other team has, and no other team can really try to build around the same way, and that's Aaron Donald. You have a guy like Aaron Donald, you probably don't need to spend as much on your linebacking core because he's such a disruptor that it does become kind of the same thing where you're playing cleanup. Now, Lions don't have that. They, they're trying to be more disruptive up front, but they're, but they're not there yet. And they don't have a guy like Andre, oh, like I'm, I'm reading the chat here, like uh, Aaron Donald who, who can disrupt like that. So I'm hesitant to really compare the two defenses because that one piece is so key to everything that the Rams do, everything they're able to do that, that it's just not really exactly what the lions are, are able to do, but uh, I'll throw this to Eric. What's, what's kind of your overall takes on this? this linebacker isn't as important. So the Lions aren't ever really going to spend resources on them. No, I think Ryan nailed it when he went back to the Rome wasn't built in a day uh, point. And that when you look at the 2023 roster, when you look at the players that are under contract for next year, you have, um, you have five receivers plus a lot of UDFA guys in, in, in exclusive rights free agents. You've got six starting or six offensive linemen. You've got two, three running backs plus ERFA guys. You've got multiple tight ends plus ERFA guys. Um, Defensive line, you're going to have like four edge rushers, five interior guys. Um, And then at corner, you've got six, seven guys that are going to be potentially under contract. 
And then you look at linebacker and you have two. And you look at safety and you have two. And then you notice the fact that the two linebackers were both day three guys. And so it just hasn't been a position that they've been able to invest in yet. Because like Ryan, again, pointed out to our conversation um, about the rebuild is that that is one of the it is becoming devalued like you said it's almost like running back where it's becoming a devalued position in the nfl where you can get by with average play and so i think that is a position that they've said look we're going to invest in it but we're these guys may end up being depth guys they may not necessarily be starters if they turn into starters that's great but this is just a position that we think we can put on hold until we can rebuild it up uh, a little bit more down the road and and safety they've now started to add some key elements to as well but you know when you look at when you look at like where they're making their hybrid defensive players it's at linebacker and it's at, it it's at safety right they're trying to find guys that can that can add more depth there because they haven't been able to invest heavily in those positions uh in in previous off seasons they've addressed them just not heavily and and they're getting there safety you can arguably say is a lot closer than it was after you know re-upping Tracy, uh, Tracy Walker and then spending the third round in in, in uh, Kirby Joseph but linebacker hasn't got that attention and and will it come maybe uh, will it be ignored that's possible too but i just think it's kind of the lowest position group that they've deemed as important and uh that's why it hasn't got the attention and that's that's one of the major differences between this front office and past front offices right is like they are valuing Positional value seems to really matter to them, right? They they go out yes. and get their left yes. slash right tackle in Panay Sewell in year one. They go and get pass rusher and a wide receiver in, in their second year. And, and even, you know, jumping into second round picks, you're, you're getting pass rushers from the interior. Um, whereas you look at the positions that the pass regimes have drafted in the first round, tight end, linebacker, um, you know, guard, center. And, and some of those have worked out, but they're not, the game changing positions that other have. And so I think, I think you're, you're making a good point here is like the lines are knocking down the most important positions. Yeah. They're getting, cause it makes the biggest yeah, difference. It'll, it'll exactly it's exactly. quickest turnaround. You're hitting it right yeah. on the head, man. Outside of quarterback, what's the most important player uh, position on the field. It's either, it's either tackle or, edge rusher right yep. and that's where they spent their top two picks their top 10 picks on right and then what's the position that's that's becoming financially in, uh, in smart to invest in well that's receiver right like that that's growing like crazy right so yes positional value is a major uh priority for this organization and it and it needs to be when you're executing a rebuild like they are and, and I think the one thing that we can't go without saying is that the Lions are interested in getting difference makers, right? Like, they were in on Bobby Wagner. They were one of the teams that was interested in Bobby Wagner. And where did he end up going? Rams. The Rams, right? So let's let's uh, let's disprove the notion or let's set the notion aside that the Rams don't value linebackers because they, they just went out and got a difference maker at linebacker, right? Like... It, it, it's about, as you guys are saying, it's about knocking down the pins in a specific order. Anyways, we got to take a break here. That was a super long segment. When we come back, uh, we will finish things off and, and answer all of the questions, or at least most of them that we can get to in a short amount of time. We'll be right back here on Spotify Live.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back on Spotify Live, cleaning things up. Final segment here, answering your questions live on the Spotify Live app. Again, if you want to join us, download the Spotify Live app, follow Pride of Detroit, and join us every Saturday morning as we field questions like this one from Tom. Tom, are you there? I figured it out now. Ah, there we go. Okay. All right. Uh, I kind of have a two-part question. First part is, what's your take on the positive national media attention and that the local media, being uh, Jerry Reisman, uh, has been on MSN's uh, national coverage also. So I'm just curious what you guys think about all the attention that we're getting. And... If that attention is warranted and we do end up in the playoffs, do you think a quarterback will be in the play next year? I'm kind of thinking it won't be. Uh, Good question. Yeah, I I guess I hadn't – I wasn't aware that I was on MSN, first of all. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the positive attention stuff, we've talked a little bit about this, Ryan, and how it makes me – extremely uncomfortable because in general as a fan um even taking myself away from the media itself as a fan more attention means more expectations means more opportunity to get hurt um but it's hard not to get swept up in it it's hard not to believe some of it because a lot of the progress that that they're talking about is it's real process it's not just a matter of culture changing. It's the way they finished last season. It's the way that they're building. It's the way that they're drafting. It's the way that, that they're coaching. And, and they're, I mean, the coaching staff for me has always been the biggest source of optimism is that they just seem to get it. They, they know how to teach. They know how to be teachers and we've seen the results already in one year. So if I'm answering the question, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm talking playoffs this year yet, but in terms of, you know, being on the right direction, which I think is a, a lot of what the national guys are saying. Yeah, I think the offense should take a significant jump this year. Yes, I think the defense should take a significant jump this year. But we're probably talking more around average units on both sides of the ball. That's still a big year to jump, but I'm not I'm not ready to talk playoffs yet. I don't know where where are you guys at with all this media attention and 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 Kool-Aid drinking. Well I I, I think that a lot of the I guess, quote unquote, media types. Right. Because, I mean, you see like Scott Pioli saying really nice things about the Detroit Lions. Right. Like mm-hmm. a guy who has been successful in the NFL. Um, you see other you see people who writers. Right. You see like Mina Kimes talk about, you know, getting in on the Detroit Lions right now. It seems like it seems like the overwhelming majority of these media types that are that are backing the Lions right now. I don't see any of them that are like, yeah, this should be a playoff team or anything like that. But what I do see is to your point, Jeremy, I I see a lot of them saying like they should take a big jump. And I think that that is well within, 
well within the realm of possibility. And it's not anything that I feel like expectations are so totally out of whack that this team can make a, a great improvement and fall short of the playoffs. This team can make a great improvement from a three and 13 and one year last year, right? Like, I mean, any, the Lions were really bad last year, guys. <laughs> they were really bad. But at Halloween, we were ta- I mean, this was a winless team that just got kicked in the teeth by the Philadelphia Eagles. And then they finished the year the way that they finish it. And that's where all of this groundswell sort of starts. Yeah. And then that, Jeremy hates us, but like that momentum carries itself into the offseason. It tapered off a little bit though, right? Like I, I think I think um, in local circles, the Lions rather in action, and I mean you even see this in like Bill Barnwell's piece that he put up on ESPN about like, hey, the Lions just kind of re-signed a bunch of players from their team that went three and thirteen and one. Like, what's the reason for you know all this optimism? But I mean they had a great approach to the draft. They, as we've talked about, they they targeted premium positions like edge rusher and wide receiver. And they went out and got difference makers. It's hard not to be excited about this football team. And I think that's just a reflection of how, how the media is kind of interpreting it right now. So I, a, a significant jump, as you say, Jeremy, on offense, on defense. This is a team like by DVOA standards was, I mean, bottom barrel of the league in both those things. If they can make significant jumps, as you say, to being around the middle of the pack – that that's probably going to result in seven, eight wins. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Eric. I know I know you're always the deemed the Kool Aid guy. So how how are you handling the Kool Aid coming from national outlets? And then we should also you know pursue the the second part of the question, which is if the Lions make it to the playoffs, is Jared Goff the guy? Well, first of all, it makes me a little uncomfortable. That, <laughs> that national people are, are buying. Look, largely as a whole, Detroit is ignored by the national media. And I think when the national media takes a beat and doesn't just look at what has happened on black and white paper, which is kind of like what I got, the impression I got from Barnwell is that he just kind of like looked at what did the sheet say? What does black and white say they made roster moves? Oh, it doesn't look that impressive. So I'm going to just write this piece that doesn't really speak a whole lot about what they did. Whereas I think when people start taking a closer look, breaking down the schedule, actually looking at the philosophical moves, that's when they say, oh, man, maybe maybe Detroit's a little bit better than I was giving them credit for. Eerily similar to Matthew Stafford's situation a year ago <laughs> where they were like, Matthew Stafford's not that good. He's, you know, he's just, he, look what he's, what has he done in Detroit? Oh, wait, maybe he is better than we're giving them credit for now that we're taking a deeper look at him, right? So I think that's just like how it fits with, uh, with Detroit. They're largely looked at as – or, or, or overlooked at, I guess, in, in a lot of ways, because they haven't you know, been a winning organization for so long, right? So now that teams or now that media is starting to take a closer look, I think they're starting to see what the, uh, you know, the forest from the trees type of thing. So uh, the second part of the question, though, with, with golf, a lot of it is going to become, are, did they get to the playoffs because of, did he win them games? Like, did he take them to that next step? Um, until we know, like, how he got them to that spot, 
I don't think we are really going to have a, a good understanding of, is he the quarterback of the future? If he just kind of toes the line and they, and they get by, you know, if they get by with him, but the rest of the team is what carries them, then maybe he's not the QB of the future. But if he's a guy that was the catalyst for winning a couple of key games, then that opens the narrative up a lot. Yeah, that's, and we answered a similar question, I think on our podcast last week and, and, same, same kind of conclusion. Like there's not really a statistical mark that he has to hit or a win mark that he has to hit or winning a playoff game. You just kind of have to see how it works out, how, how he does. Like you just, it's hard to quantify what it looks like to have a successful season as a quarterback. But I think you put it um, nicely in just saying he has to, he has to kind of win them games. He has to, he has to be part of the reason why they're successful rather than just kind of long for the ride. And, and real quick, just, just one quick point to, to that. The lions coaching staff too, right? Like they have to be a part of winning games, True. right? They, they have to be a part of that winning formula because I mean, was, I mean, Thanksgiving, the bears game, right? Like decisions like that um, are, are going to go a long way. I, I'm interested in how just to, to kind of punctuate all of this is like, what is going to be the media's relationship with this coaching staff, especially after the rub that they're going to get in hard knocks, right? With all the exposure that they're going to get, like what, what is the national media going to think of this coaching staff? Because right now I think like Dan Campbell is kind of just, I think large in part has been, you know, reduced to being a soundbite guy. Right. Yeah. So, it, it it changed a little bit towards the end of last year, but I think I think you're right. Like all this exposure is either going to you know if they get off to a slow start, it's like oh, turns out they were clowns, you know, not not these motivational geniuses. And so it, it again, I think that's part of the reason why there's so much anxiety from people like me and Eric with all this extra exposure is that the, there's concern that people aren't going to get what they're looking at. Right. And I think a, pot, a lot of people are excited about hard knocks because of that, because a lot of people view Dan Campbell as the kind of that sound bite guy, but maybe a deeper look, a, a deeper analysis. And hopefully HBO does a good job of getting the root of what, what is actually going on here, what Dan Campbell is actually all about uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I uh, appreciate the question, Tom. Uh, we'll move on to our next question here. Uh, looks like Jason is back here with us. Jason, can you hear us this time? Yeah, I got you. The screen froze last time. Oh, no worries. No worries. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, My thing is, back in free agency, the receiver I wanted us to get was DJ Chark. I was ecstatic we got him. Now that we have our new shiny toys from the draft, it seems like no one's really talking about him much. So now that you guys got to see him practice, just what are your impressions of him? Yeah, let me me throw this one to Eric right away. Um, What what were your your first – First opportunity to see DJ Chark uh, on Thursday. What'd you think? Well, he was one of my guys that I was on my watch on the our watch list, right? Like he was one yeah. of the ten guys that I said, "Look, I I want to see him in person." And um, I think the play that stood out to me the most was he ran like a like a crossing route, and he was coming over the middle of the field, and the uh, Lions defense was in zone, and Tracy picked him up, and Tracy was all over him. I mean, like the coverage could not have been any better and golf put in a tight window and it was where golf put it. What it would have been better if it was like, you know, uh, maybe a um, half a yard ahead of where, where, where it actually ended, but it ended more into like uh Chark's body. And that allowed Tracy to kind of get in on it a little bit better. But 
when it was essentially like a 50 50 ball, like, but it was a laser over the middle. Uh, and, and Chark showed a lot of fight to get that ball and not just get it, but like secure the catch. And it was like, he did almost just snatched it away. Like he, he got it with his hands and then turned his body into the defender and really made it that where Tracy could not get his arm fully around. And it got, look, Tracy's got gangly as arms as anybody. <laughs> and he's still, he just missed it. But Chark understood like, okay, it's not just put my hands on the ball. It's put my hands on it, turn my body, brace for the impact, secure it all the way through. And it was, it was a very impressive under the radar type of catch. And, and for people who look at Chark and say, you know, he's this speed option guy, he showed a lot of toughness in, in that moment. And he's never really had that ability to go over the middle in, in when he was in Jacksonville, but he, he did some of that. He did that at LSU. And that's I, something that the, it sure looks like the Lions are going to incorporate with him. And so that is very encouraging for me that he can step into that wide receiver one type role. Um, you know, will Jameson Williams, who knows how long it's going to take for him to get back. I don't think Josh Reynolds is, is ready to be that guy. And, and so really the Lions have put a lot of eggs in chart to be that guy. And um, he made a couple of nice plays that showed me that the, the potential is there for him to, to, uh, to be a, a, a really dominating type receiver. And it's interesting that you you say you know he's he's, get, he's already getting afforded opportunities that he didn't really get to do in Jacksonville because that's one of the first things he said to us right is like he felt like he was in too tight of a box in Jacksonville to be that outside receiver to be that speed guy the Lions he he already gets a sense with the Lions he's going to have a lot of roles and and that's what what, what everyone says right like I think when yeah. Josh Reynolds had mentioned like they're going to move guys all around. He, Defenses aren't going to know where people are, are lined up. And so DJ Chark over the middle, DJ Chark on, on screen passes, you know, that's something he said he wanted to do more of his yards after the catch. Um, and, and we've seen a little bit of all that stuff already. And, yeah. and I, I thought Chark's practice the week before was a, a little bit better. Obviously you weren't able to see that, but he was a little bit more of an impact. I thought Josh Reynolds was, was fantastic on Thursday. Yeah, um, certainly he, he was, that, that was as good as I've ever seen Josh Reynolds. I mean, yeah. like he was also a guy who's been kind of tabbed as a vertical only guy. And he was going over to the middle and not only was he going over, but he was getting yak. And, and I, I'm like, yeah. Whoa, that's yeah. part of a game that I've never seen from Josh before. So um, yeah, I thought Josh Reynolds played terrific. Yeah. So stock up lines, wide receivers as good as advertised so far. And we haven't even seen Jamison Williams yet. Get excited. Uh, appreciate the question, Jason. Let's bring in Nathan S our final caller. Nathan, are you there? Yeah. How you doing guys? Good, good. Thanks for joining. Um, who do you think is Detroit's best offensive weapon right now? Ooh, a quick, concise question yet. Not an easy one to answer. Ryan, I think I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who is the Lions' best offensive weapon right now? Matthew Stafford. Um, no, <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of want to cheat, and I want to not take a, a skill position player. I want to say Panay Sewell. Oh, okay. I think Panay Sewell unlocks so many things on offense that this team could not do without him otherwise. And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but, like, if there's anybody who's going to benefit from Panay Sewell just being a rock star 
and getting him out in space and having him just move people and get people out of the way. Like it's going to be DeAndre Swift. You know what I mean? Like I feel like so many people, Jared Goff's going to have more time in the pocket. Jared Goff is going to benefit from, from having, uh, you know, a, a solid, a solid guy on that right side. Because as, as we've talked about so many times, like this league, you know, left tackle used to be the premium position, but now it's both tackles. They matter so much in today's modern NFL. And I, I think Panay Sewell is just, he's, he's a generational player, right? And, and I know Eric's been in on Sewell since, since day one. And um, I, I just think that with this, I, I think a second year leap for Panay Sewell is going to be incredible. Ooh, buying sock on the bigger than ever best shape of his life, Panay Sewell. Eric, I feel like he may have just stolen your answer, so I'm going to force you to say someone else. You know what I love about this podcast with Ryan is that he does take my answers and it forces <laughs> me to do other stuff. Because, like, I honestly, I was I was debating between Panay Sewell or Frank Ragnow. I was like, those two guys are the most impactful players on offense. But um, yeah, no, I look. I think Ryan was right on. And uh, but if I'm if I'm going to go another direction, I, I'm going to say St. Brown because I think that's really what what Nathan was looking for. Like the the if you're looking for a true, like, who's the best skill position player, I think I think it's probably uh, the Sun God, right? Like, he hasn't um, – you know, he, he's very much a gamer. He's very much a competitive-driven person. He doesn't take, uh, you know, moments off. He's constantly working. You've seen uh, in the back half of the season, like, what he's capable of. And I think when it comes down to it and you're in a situation where you've got to have it, where you are in – third and five, and you got to get this in order to keep the game on the line. I think St. Brown's the guy you're going to, right? And and, and so that's, wh- that's where I would put my vote. You've got a lot of really nice, shiny p- players out there that can have a lot of really fun skill sets and a lot of speed. Uh, but St. Brown is that guy that's the most reliable. I Part of me wants to just bring TJ Hawkinson into the discussion because he was such a hot topic all week. And and I don't know some of the things that Dan Campbell said about him this week I I found super interesting, um, you know mentioning that you don't find a lot of guys who have kind of the two way skills that he has but also admitting that he needs to be um, you know a, a lot better as as a run blocker but I think maybe the thing he said next was kind of intriguing to me because he basically admitted like he's not going to be the guys like Travis Kelsey Darren Waller. Kyle Pitts, because we're not asking him to be the guy, the star of the show, the guy in the spotlight. And then he mentioned all the guys that the Lions do have. They have Amon Ra, they have DJ Chark, they have Jameson Williams, they have Josh Reynolds and DeAndre Swift, all of these guys, so that he doesn't have to kind of be the marquee guy. But I, I would contend that he is also just as much that target on third down, that guy in the red zone, that guy when you need a play, he is going to win his one-on-ones and he's finally going to have the opportunity to have one-on-ones where he didn't last year. So I've been drumming, you know, banging the, the, the TJ Hawkinson drum all week because I feel like people are underrating or undervaluing or overlooking him. I think he could be in for a big year, especially on those critical downs. That, so, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw both feet behind. It. I think TJ Hawkinson might be one of the most important weapons for this team this year. I, look, I think 
that applies to a lot of that school of thought applies to a lot of positions. And as this team adds more depth, you're going to get guys in more one-on-one situations. And sure. when you're able to do that, that's really when you're going to see these talented players that have kind of been limited because of defenses can, you know, key on them or offenses can key on, on, on them. And when you can get them in those spots, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think Hawkinson has that ability to really, elevate his game more than, than what we've seen. And honestly, he's already been, you know, pretty good, at a pretty high level as it is. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we'll end it there. Thank you all for sticking around for our extra long version of this. Uh, appreciate all the questions. Uh, appreciate all the support you guys have given pride of Detroit through all of our mediums. As always, you can follow us on any podcasting platform, or you can just read the website, pride Detroit.com. Uh, but until next time for Eric, for Ryan, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. It's chaos. Be kind.